Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series, held on September 5, 2018, discussing selected issues from the proposed Section 965 regulations. The panelists for the webcast were Ken Kuykendall, a PwC tax partner and leader of our specialty practices, and Rebecca Lee, Elizabeth Nelson, and David Sotos, all PwC tax partners in our international services tax practice. This excerpt consists of a general discussion among the panelists on some miscellaneous issues under their proposed Section 965 regulations, including consolidated groups, the disregard of certain assets, and the interaction of Section 965N with Section 904. Have a listen. All right, we're in the home stretch here into our other issues. And let's kick off with just talking about some consolidated group issues. Rebecca, I'm going to come back to you on those. Sure thing. And I think David did a nice job of touching on this earlier, that we have sort of multiple sets of sort of normative rules that apply. One of the most interesting places is with respect to consolidated groups, where the consolidated group is treated as a U.S. shareholder for specified purposes, like deficit allocation elections, but you're not treated as a single U.S. shareholder for others, like aggregate foreign cash position. And the anti-abuse rules apply on a shareholder-by-shareholder basis. So, and I'm I'm not saying this as sort of a, a dig on the regulations, but a lot of the examples in the regulations assume that you have a single U.S. shareholder and then show a bunch of examples, which is great, but for most of our clients, not a particularly realistic fact pattern. So, being able to sort of toggle between the circumstances where you treat the consolidated group as if it were one big U.S. shareholder versus evaluating on a U.S. shareholder by U.S. shareholder basis is going to be critical in our clients doing their compliance work. And I'd note, too, that this aggregate foreign cash position in particular was, it, they have changed from the notice. They gave mm-hmm. the example in the notice of treating the consolidated group as one U.S. shareholder for aggregate foreign cash position in particular and so it, that was somewhat of a sea change from the notice. And kind of great callback to your question of sort of what can clients continue to do. Okay. I think when there are places in the regulations that are different than the notices, it's an opportunity to re-engage IRS and Treasury in some amount of dialogue, even just to sort of settle the issue. Um, another example that we've been grappling with, and I'm going to give this just a very light touch, is in how do you apply the rules for disregarding certain assets? I mean, where this comes up in my world is with accounts payable, accounts receivables between members of the same group and disregarding those transactions for determining aggregated uh, foreign foreign cash position. Um, These rules, and again, in the examples, assume that you have a single U.S. shareholder. Um, The question comes up, how related do the entities need to be? Do they need to roll up to a single U.S. shareholder, you know, or if they are related but not maybe in a 958A kind of way through attributed ownership, is that going to be good enough? Um, and it's funny, when Elizabeth and I were prepping for this webcast, I said, you know, a lot of times people are taking this calculation in almost a little bit of short shrift where they're saying, if I have accounts payable and accounts receivable as examples, but you could see this with loans and otherwise, where the, I know they are related party, they might be throwing out the whole category. 
Um, whereas Elizabeth, being very thoughtful, says, you know what, my clients are going very detailed through all of their categories of transactions and really looking at the relationships between the payor and the recipient to make sure that under the standards imposed by the proposed regulations, they are the type of assets that I get to disregard for this purpose. Um, and I guess if you have a takeaway from this webcast, other than the great stuff we've talked about so far, it's actually getting into that granular level of detail, particularly when the size of the transactions, which in the case of accounts receivable can be large, in the case of intercompany short-term obligations can be very large, um, where you actually need to drill down and make sure that you've got a sufficient level of relationship between the two entities paying and receiving. All right, David, last one of our sort of other areas before we get to the final polling question. You want to walk us quickly through this one? Yeah, there, there, this is an issue that has, has come up, um, and I'm not sure that I can uh, articulate that there is a specific answer here, <laughs> uh, but there is a, an article out uh, in the public domain now that is uh, addressing this issue. And and this relates, the starting point is 904. And, and we're all familiar as a general matter with 904 providing a limitation on the ability to claim foreign tax credits. And once we consider our foreign source income under 904, we have to allocate and apportion expenses uh, to our various categories of income, uh, thereby reducing the amount of foreign source income that can be taken into account in determining the 904 limit. So uh, it's, not, it's not merely a, a, a gross calculation. It's a net calculation that is determined after the allocation and apportion of expenses. And, and so the uh, whether expenses are allocated and apportioned is very important. Um, and, uh, and so when you, when you consider uh, the, the haircut that's already occurring, uh, under 965G for deemed paid credits for the 965A inclusion, uh, one one would want that uh, their credits after haircut actually to be able to be used. Um, and in some cases, there are taxpayers that have NOLs that would have wiped out or will wipe out a significant portion or all of uh, the amount of the otherwise the amount that would be included. And so, uh, you know, the the statute has a specific election uh, with respect to so-called current year losses or, or, and NOL carry forwards, et cetera, that says in determining the amount of the NOL, uh, and I'm using that generically to mean current year losses or carry forward, um, that, that you can take in the current year, uh, you can make this election to, to determine that amount without regard to the toll charge inclusion and the gross up that's associated with that. Um, and what has happened then is that if someone makes this election, the, the question is, uh, the election is designed to uh, e enable uh, taxpayers to be able to claim credits that they wouldn't otherwise been able to claim. Um, but it, it, there's no specific reference to 904. And so the question is whether there is an allocation and apportionment of expenses uh, notwithstanding that you've made this election. So if you have a current year loss, the amount of deductions that you can claim, do you have to allocate and apportion those against, uh, against the toll charge inclusion, even though you determine the amount that you could take without regard to that? Uh, and so that, that is a, an issue that needs, needs to be uh, considered more. Yeah, another one of those uncertain areas we can add to uh, things that might come up post-filing. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the participants. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you.